everybody. My name is Sir Topham Hatt, and it is my pleasure to inform you that you're about to listen to the Right on Track podcast. All aboard! Greetings, salutations, hello, guten tag, konnichiwa, and welcome to the Right on Track podcast, the place where we grace your ears to hear about all things Thomas the Tank Engine and the Railway Series. But never fear, I am not joined alone. Comradering in, riding off rusty, and easing onto the platform, I have joining me, Connor Jonas, the uh, quick-talking, charismatic-sounding guy... Um, who, joining me with Denim, is our wonderful critiquing and pedantic friend... Tom Parry, the third wheel. But we're joined by a fourth <laughs> wheel today because we have yet another... For a star. Oh, come on, guys. Just, you know, we, we all know how you feel about me. <laughs> no, 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 we love you, Parry. We love you. We love you. Uh, Three times oh, well, if you say so, gentlemen. Okay, back to what I wanted to do before, and that is introduce our guest for today. We've had so many over the past few episodes, and we've got yet another one, and it is none other than Brendan. Welcome to Right on Track, Brendan. Thank you for having me, guys. Um, Hi. This is really nice. I feel really nice. <laughs> this is actually, I, this is like the first time this has ever happened, so like, a lot of words are flowing in and out, going like, oh, you should say this. No, say that. I don't like sitting here like, yeah, I'm the guy. Oh, 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 okay, okay. So you're the guy. Okay. He's I'm the, the guy. You, 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 you are a train guy. You, you like, yeah, I'm you, the train you, guy. You, you the like choo choo trains, specifically ones that talk. Mm, not just, not just choo choo trains, chugga chugga choo choo <laughs> trains. Oh, <laughs> there's a great difference there. Right, right. <laughs> but in this episode, yeah. it is a very special episode. This is episode 33, if I did not mention. And in episode 33, we kick off the gear with our first episode covering series five of Thomas the Tang Engine and Friends. And Parry, which episodes will we be talking about Well, the about episodes today? we're going to be reviewing today, Master Denim, are Cranky Bugs, Horrid Lorry, and A Better View for Gordon. And we should also note that because this is the first episode of season five of Right on Track, we have a brand new theme. Yes, we do indeed. Yes, oh? we do. Uh, you you heard it at the start there, um, and and, and we'll, we'll go into details a little bit later about that uh, wonderful theme around about our musical interlude time. But um, before we kick off our reviews, Brendan, when did you first come in contact with Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends or the subsequent Railway series? Oh, um, I think I was around two or three years old. My mom bought me the the normal uh, Thomas Wooden Railway figure eight set, and that's where it started. I think my first VHS tape that I actually owned that wasn't renting was Cranky Bugs, and I can tell you right now that tape is long gone. It has been destroyed because of how many times I've um. <laughs> I love that VHS tape. Still has some of my favorite episodes on it. And we're 
going to be talking about those ones too. So like that that's also like another thing. Positive check. Um, yeah. Uh, for railway series, how did I come into contact with railway series? Um, I don't know if it was in any other country, but over here we had the Thomas and Friends Club or Thomas the Tank Engine Club. I think it was called Thomas the Tank Engine Club at first, but when it was rebranded to Thomas and Friends, um, you could sign up for like a monthly uh, subscription and you would get like railway series books. Like they'd get like two stories. It'd be like a flip thing. So you flip it. One side's one story and the other side's another. And um, we st- we had like a one year subscription to that. And that was my introduction to the railway series. And that was honestly just a really great experience seeing Thomas from like a different point of view. And I had no idea that the Thomas books were older. I just thought they were just books made around the time the episodes yeah. came out, the books. And, you know, when you get access to the internet at a young age or whatever it happens, like, find out more and more. And it just opens your eyes and you're like, wow, there's so much more about the train that I had no idea. So it was it, it, being introduced to, to, you know, to Thomas and the wonderful world that it is you live in the past present or future um it it honestly is something to be behold i i love this franchise even if in its dark days i still still appreciate it for what it is and that passion you have for it is something that's only continued uh especially until today because now you make like tons of videos about the little blue engine yeah yeah i um make uh for those who don't know who I am, I make uh, model train videos and remakes and original stories, sometimes adaptions whenever I get around to them. Um, and I've been doing that for for 10 years now. And just about, you know, five, six years ago, I kind of found my footing. But what I want to do with the channel and making these videos and expanding like the world from my point of view, it, it's something... It feels amazing being able to do stuff like that because you have always people like will question you like, oh, what do you do with your future? And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm a, uh, I work in a bank or, you know, I work in an office or, you know, I'm an animator and I'm just sitting here like, oh, yeah, I play with trains. Yeah, but like, oh. I mean, you get a job you love, never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, you know, like this whole thing, a lot of people never thought would ever lead to anything in my past and even like, um, at one point, you know, like one of my parents was always like, yeah, you got to, you know, go on from this. You got to move forward and use it as a hobby, which I did. But, you know, in the end, it, I, it led me to work for the TCC, yeah. uh, the Thomas Creator Collective on YouTube. And like that was a big step And that even though it's not around anymore, um, just that moment, like it felt like, yeah, this it, it felt so right. And the build up to that, it's like, well, it felt. What's the word for it? I don't know uh, how to pick the word up. After the ECC, yeah. you you you've ended up here. I'm so sorry. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, we all have to end up somewhere sometimes. So you're amongst like-minded people. Yeah, but I'm happy to be. So it's all good. Now I I well I must ask, have you got any particular favorite character? I always jump around between these three. Um, I love Thomas because he's 
I know a lot of people get some people get cranky when you take Thomas's character and make him kind of like more lovable than more of like his cranky, you know, jealous side. And it's like, well, the thing with Thomas is like you can do anything. The series has done everything with him. So you can kind of do whatever you want with him, which is fun. So you can you can do whatever you want with Thomas. Thomas is one of the easiest characters to write for. I really like characters like I, I love Duck and I love Edward and they always clash together and I always have like likes at times but like I really love those characters and you know like Duck is you know annoying with like his great Western way you know always doing things right and his book just cool because like that's like um it's like a control control freak kind of thing but he's also like good at heart so it's like I like that I like that character and then you have with Edward he's just old you know old old and wise basic bi- biography that the, you know the company gives him but like he's honestly like 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 a sweet gentle like character that anyone could look up to and he's like you know the one everyone can go to for advice as well and he's just really he's just really nice i, I don't know how to explain it other than the fact that he's just a really sweet character as well yeah absolutely um i gotta ask as well do you have um a favorite uh, model uh, video that you've made um, in your last five or ten years? Mm. I've only been asked this question once, and my immediate answer went to a video that I actually didn't like, and I was like, wait, what? Um, I think within the past, like, couple years, I think the most recent video I did was The Better the Best, and... That one is about, you know, the Thomas and Percy having an argument. It's kind of similar to what, what was the episode Cole? That's what's called in most countries. Yep. Um or double it's not called double trouble, but that episode that that episode video I made, it, it, it has some of like the most amount of passion I put in a project and the most amount of stress I've also had in a project because I had to make it in a week. Wow. So, wow. Cause we set like deadlines, me and the whole uh busted buffer gang. Uh, we all set deadlines to make videos within like a week time. So like, okay, we're going to release videos on this date. And if we had to push it back another, that's okay, which ended up happening. But we ended up making these videos and editing them and finding music for them and just filming it all in a week and getting it out for everybody to watch was honestly stressful. But I enjoyed it at the same time because it was really cool to see what, you know, you can do that you built up over the years. And any like past videos I've done, um, probably, probably has to be maybe uh, Legend of the Lost Treasure scene I remade with it, where Thomas falls into the mine and everything, and he finds the pirate ship. That was the the most stress I've ever had filming a video because I didn't know what I was doing when I went into it, and then you know I ended up filming it one day and I wasn't happy with it. I went back the second day and I reshot the whole thing and I was much happier with it. And, and it ended up coming out the way I wanted to. I mean, if I'd made that now, I can make it totally different. But that's just one of the past videos I'm like really proud of. I'm not forgetting any. If I'm forgetting anything right now with any past stuff, it's because it's just. I don't know. It's I, a I've lot. been so. It, there's a lot I've done in the past, and I know within the past like two three years I haven't made. Oh, you know what? That just popped up in my head because I haven't been making too much content recently up until now. About like a year or two ago, I made a Down the Mine adaption, which used Ringo Star Bluebird narration from the book. So it had the, the the railway series narration, but it had all the sound effects and music from the television series. And it was fun to remake that with uh, Zara 21 King. That was 
was a fun collaboration that we did and it was very fun to film thomas falling in the mine which took i think like 30 (laughs) it took 30 times to film that shot it was it's insane It, it feels so easy to film certain things you're like oh it'll take five you know five five shots now it ends up taking like 30 well i say we jump right into our first episode which is cranky bugs thomas and percy enjoy working in the docks they like the sea air and the sound of the gulls but one day the friends were feeling hot and bothered a crane was causing trouble his name is cranky and this was his first day at the docks You're useless little bugs, he called from above. If you put these trucks on the inside lines, then I wouldn't have so far to travel. Rubbish, said Thomas. We always arrange our trucks like this, and no crane has ever complained before. Well, I'm complaining now. And Cranky banged his load down on the quayside. Later, the two engines met Gordon and James and told them about Cranky. Cranes are airy-fairy things. They need a lot of attention, like me, in fact said Gordon. You should see the situation from Cranky's point of view, huffed James. He's high up in the air, coping with wind, rain and baking sun. Then he looks down and sees you two little engines being annoying. No wonder he called you bugs. So, as we heard in that clip there, there is a new crane on the island of Sodor. He's called Cranky and he has a bit of a temperament. He's a little cranky. Yeah. Very angry. He's bossy. I wonder where his name comes (laughs) from. (laughs) Well, actually, interesting enough, Brendan, uh, when we were talking to, uh, I think it was Mike last season, and we were talking about uh, the different names of characters in French languages, apparently the French version of Thomas and Friends, Cranky is referred to as Felix, and none of us can really ascertain as to why that is. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> why? Yeah. why? <laughs> that's so, that's so it's, random. It's... They just drew a name out of a hash. <laughs> and that was not it. a cat. He is a There's crane. <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't work. <sighs> no, it doesn't. But, but, but yes, cr- Cranky the Crane. But yes, anywho, anywho. This, is, this is a big moment for the TV series because this is one of... Uh, we've had Smudger, but I guess this is one of the first big... Um, non-Audrey characters that we've had in the TV show. That is true. Yeah, I think Cranky was the first. That was the first on Railway series character to be. That, that is actually correct, Brendan. You are right in saying that Cranky is the first character to be entirely devised by the staff of the television series. This episode in particular is entirely original. It's written by David Mitten and Britt Allcroft. This is the. It's not the first story, but it is. Um, the first Thomas and Friends episode to be based on no particular incident at all or a particular Audrey story. I mean, in the past, of course, we've had things like Rusty's The Rescue, which is written by the staff, but this is the first story to be entirely of their own imagination. (laughs) And and there is a reason to that, because um, this is the first episode made without any help from Reverend Wilbur Audrey, because um, this episode came out 14th September 1998, uh, 105th episode total. Um, meanwhile, the Reverend uh, passed away in 1997, which means that this is the first 
uh, post-Audrey story. Yeah, so coming back to the clip, and, well, we may as well give a summary of the story, I guess. As we heard in the clip, Cranky is giving the smaller engines, Thomas and Percy, a hard time, but Gordon and James are sympathising with him, and that causes Cranky to be even ruder still. Now... Uh, after being very rude to the engines, uh, Thomas and Percy are sent to their sheds by the Fat Controller, or Sir Topham Hat, and that night there is a fierce storm on the island, and Cranky is uh, bearing the worst of it next to an engine shed, which the narrator says contains the bigger engines, which include Gordon, James, Henry, and Duck? Yeah. Yeah, and the, re- and the, the reason why I emphasize that as a question is because I've always considered Duck a small engine or tank engine, and here he is sheltering with the tender engines. He is. He is um, a, a, a tank engine. However, in the original drafts for this story, Edward was originally going to be in the place of Duck. Hmm. Hmm. It wasn't the the storyboards that were shown. I think it, it there Edward is correct, storyboard. but was replaced by Duck. Coming to think of it now, there are a lot of instances in uh, season five where you could change Duck and Edward about because you see Edward in some episodes and you think, oh, that seems like a Duck role. And in others, it's like, what's Duck doing there? Shouldn't Edward be there? Of course, we'll get to that as we continue along this journey. But coming back to this particular story... One thing which has always perplexed me is how Cranky begins uh, the story basically next to the docks, you know, unloading the ships. And then when it comes to the accident during the storm, he's he's been moved. Like, within the space of a day, less than a day, he's suddenly found himself placed next to this engine shed at an opposite end of Brendam Docks. So this is where Cranky's design comes into play. That, so, that is true, actually. Cranky uh, oh, is yes. the new crane on the docks, um, and he has got no particular basis. He's a freelance design purely based off of uh, cranes from the 1920s and 1950s, according to Rob Gullius. Now, um, most cranes are able to be disassembled and moved to other locations, uh, which has it hasn't been used at all in the show nor mentioned. However, he has moved around to different locations and cranes can be moved around to different locations. So it makes sense. Um, a key example of that is in Thomas and the Magic Railroad when he's seen at Knapford. Um, but um, it, it, I, I have a feeling that this episode doesn't take place in a day because we we, yeah. we know that it's his first day at the start of the episode and then he plays multiple tricks on Thomas and Percy and then there's a storm and he has been moved. So you would say that the, the events we're seeing, it takes place over a certain number of days or even weeks potentially. Yes. I'd say so. But, 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 but to... Um... Come back to this. Uh, it's it's really tricky with the narration, though, because we, as Michael Angelo says at the start, it's Cranky's first day at the docks, and then when we see the Fat Controller admonish Thomas and Percy, it's, um, yeah, of course we've got that scene, and then the narrator says, that night a storm raged across the island. So 
yeah, there's a little bit of disconnect there. True, but I, I, I feel that that night refers to the night that they are sent away because they have been bullying Cranky, quote-unquote. But, um, yeah, a- a- essentially, um, Thomas Percy is sent away. There's a massive storm uh, where Cranky is bearing the brunt of it next to an engine shed with Gordon, Henry, James, and Dark. When an old tramp steamer out of control slams into the shed, which pushes Cranky over, and now the engines are buried underneath the rubble in the middle of a storm, whilst Cranky is laying on his side, which leaves Thomas and Percy to go and help them. Yeah, so Thomas and Percy need to help Cranky get upright. I'm not sure how they manage to do that on their own, but they do. And then once that happens... Little, little tank engines are strong. Little engines can do big things. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's <laughs> once again we're uh, hearing an example of denim trying to prove to us that the magic railroad is canon. Like, like... Hey, hey, hey! They said it in Thomas and the Royal Engine. Oh. It is canon. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Um. For 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 those that um aren't aware, um, and I'd be surprised if you were aware. We're recording this uh, essentially the day after the Royal Engine has been released. So there's a lot of hype going around it. Um, mm. but, but yes, continue, Parry. So after Cranky is helped upright by Thomas and Percy, he's able to free the bigger engines from the debris. And, <laughs> and then he um, sort of... Uh, apologizes to Thomas and Percy and says, "All right, you two are in my way, so can you move over?" And <laughs> and then Percy, out of frustration, tries backing away, but his uh, coupling is still attached to Cranky, and then he just falls over again. <laughs> uh, and, and a classic Percy moment. It's, really, it's, it's humorous slapstick. It is one of the most amusing moments, not just of season five, but of the show in general. It's great. <laughs> It's very amusing. Um, but, but yes, as this is uh, the start of Season 5, there are a fair few um, firsts for this. Um, this being the first episode to use confusion and delay. Yes, it is. I forgot however, about that. Oh, really? However, it is not spoken until uh, by Sir Topham Hatt until Season 8. Mm, so the term is uttered here by the narrator, and it's just after Cranky plays his trick on Thomas. Yeah. Um, and this is also, in the US, the first series to be narrated by Alec Baldwin. Okay, I, th- I think we should bring in Brendan here. So, Brendan, what are your thoughts on Alec Baldwin's narration of Thomas and Friends? I know there are some people that hate him and despise his narration, but I think Alec Baldwin, for at least season five, did a fantastic job. One, because he gave so many characters, like, different personalities. Like, James, come on. James, James sounds great. Gordon just sounds bad. <laughs> like, he gave, he gave personality to some of the engines. Like, it has, there's, there's, George Carlin vibes are very heavy with Alec Baldwin and seeing him give like the characters all like different types of tones and stuff. And honestly, it's very entertaining to watch. I was like, I know when we were prepping for these episodes, I was, you know, thinking about should I watch the UK or should I watch the US? And so I just watched the US because it's like 
I don't know. I just like hearing the different you know, variations of of these characters. Just very entertaining to watch, even like bounce off each other. Yeah, that's what I grew that's up what with you as well. Used to. That's why you know I watched it. Like yeah. I, I have seen yeah. the UK ones, and I don't think they're bad. I just you know just prefer the US. Cause that's what I grew up with. One thing I found very interesting about uh, season five is straight off the bat, within the first shot, you've got much larger sets and you have got almost like a warm filter over the camera. That's exactly right. Oh, it's so nice to look. The, the engines look glossier and more reflective. Y- yes, and that's um, something you see throughout the season. In fact, there are certain shots where you can see the stage in the reflection of their paintwork. And... um. It has also got very intense soundscapes. It does. Yeah, this season used Adobe, right? It used like not Adobe, it used a uh... no, uh, no, no. So yeah, no, you're yep. on the right track, Brendan. So it used Dolby surround sound, and it is to date the only seer- season of Thomas and Friends that has utilized surround sound. Ah, uh, yeah, I said Adobe, not Dolby. <laughs> 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 Two very different products. Yeah. Uh, well, well uh, I, I think I better not say anything at this point because I might be sued by both Adobe and Dolby. Brilliant illustrations by Dolby. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, now, there are a few... Uh, apart from things that I love about uh, Season 5, there are a few things I especially love about this episode, such as the uh, Gordon and James little discussion we've got which is very season one-esque about tank engines versus tender engines i it's just the, the tender engines just you know yeah throwing like whatever they can at the small engines like have we had this conversation <laughs> for the umpteenth time i <laughs> adore the storm theme slash danger yeah of season it's great yeah. mm. it... and also on top of that, like the effects, particularly the steamer heading towards the engine shed, I re- remember another interview that uh, Rob Gould Golliers gave regarding that, and he said that was one of the most difficult things he ever had to do. Yeah, and like, I mean, this is, I would say, the largest, most destructive accident to date. Yeah, I, yeah, I would you agree. could make that argument, actually, yeah. Because yeah, it's one of the largest up there with like the pack episode where the whole the giant the funnel stack falls over on the warehouse, but, but it, it is yeah. honestly one of the biggest crashes. And, like, I mean, you have a massive out-of-control tramp steamer, which they seem to use multiple times. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, it just keeps steamer. coming back. I know. <laughs> it, it, like, returns with Fergus and Salty. It, it's just got bad luck. And then Salty tells multiple tales of it. Anyways. It's Bullstroid's um, uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, related relatives distance cousins charges towards um like tearing up the wooden jetty it then slams Mm. into the side of the ending engine shed pushing them over it then pushes cranky over and in the original design of this scene and you can still sort of see it in the episode the tramp steamer was supposed to hit a fuel tank and cause that to explode Oh, and that I forgot about that. That that storyboard is intense. And if you watch the episode, you can see 
when you're inside the shed looking towards the tramp steamer with all the engines, you can see the fuel tanker next to them. That gives me a lot of Tugs vibes, like munitions right there. It's funny because I know that around this time of the uh, the series, Britt was very involved with Magic Railroad, so she was back and forth between working on that, getting that ready, and, and, you know, season five, series five. And I know that... Seasons where David and the crew weren't went absolutely insane, just went <laughs> crazy with the crashes. And, and so I have a weird feeling that the explosion was all David going, "Let's do it, let's do it, let's do it." Explosion. <laughs> and like we we know that explosions aren't uh, a, a trivial thing, as we learned with our interview with Rob Gulliers, that for pranks they would blow up coal trucks to share some <laughs> of the younger, to share some of the younger crew members. So, like, I mean. I want to see a cut of this where there is that explosion. That'd be good. More than likely, the explosion was filmed, but it was probably cut out of the final cut. Sadly. Um, Hmm. And speaking of uh, Tugs vibes as well, one of the the very first shot, in fact, as we see Thomas and Percy uh, go by the camera, it then pans up to reveal none other than Big Mickey. Yes. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah. the the crane from Tugs who uh, quote unquote died uh, from <laughs> a fiery explosion in munitions when explosion went off and it knocked him over into the sea. So a very similar situation could have occurred. And to this day, he takes salvage on Sodal, mm. trying to escape all the crazy mishaps. Oh, I was just saying, like that's that's where he went, right? you know. After after Tugs, he rebuilt, went to Sodor, and that's a safe haven. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite things about um, I don't know if we've discussed this on the show or not, but if you notice, especially in series two, when you look at a lot of um the boats in shop, all the boats have the names of the production crew on them. So there's a boat named after David Midden. Mm. There's one that has Steve after Steve Asquith. Pretty sure there's a Rob in there as well. Um, I just think that's a fun little detail. If you know what you're looking out for. Mm. Um, but... Sorry, I coughed there. That's right. Um... <laughs> you're allowed to cough. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, going off the same idea of Big Mickey being another crane... At the start of the episode, Thomas and Percy go that no crane has ever complained before. True. They work. Which further brings up the point that these cranes are sentient and active things, even if we can't see their faces. It's just like the coaches. Like, we never see the faces of the express coaches or even some of the troubles from trucks. Wish we could. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, like, we know that there is some form of sentience there. Could literally just copy and paste the well, actually the express coaches in the are kind of ugly, but like I was about to say, they could just rebuild the the slip coaches and just use their faces. <laughs> there you go. Or even just copy and paste the like faces or whatever. But like I feel that if every single thing had a face, it would become it would look more like a crowd. And that it would be kind of be... like Pixar Cars universe. Yeah, and it would mm. be a little bit overwhelming. Um, well, actually, come to think... Yeah, that's probably another reason why not everything has it. Mm, but come to think of it, I recall there was this uh, Thomas and Friends colouring book, and 
the person who is going past a fun fair or a carnival or something like that, and the, the bumper cars that were kid that the kids were riding in had faces, and that brings up a whole range of questions. There, there is an entire entire podcast episode that that exists in this discussion here, <laughs> and we are not uh, going to spend this whole episode on it. Soon, no, children. Soon, you got two I, more to go. Now, um, it's <laughs> true. I've I, I've got um one little question about this episode, and it says that during the storm, the big engines are trapped at the docks. Yet, Thomas and Percy are able to get to the docks to help them. Well, that's because when the storm was over. The storm quickly disappeared after Cranky fell over, and that gave Thomas and Percy the opportunity to head down to Brendam. True, true. However, if they were trapped, they could... The only reason they would be trapped is if there was a flood somewhere. No, not true. I mean, it was a particularly heavy storm, and when there's heavy storms, like even here in Australia, where our thunderstorms are more spectacular than most, uh, the public transport does tend to, like, take it easy and maybe delay services. Yeah, yeah, in order to um, avoid any um, unnecessary mishaps. But, like, I mean... That is correct. Even... Even if the engines were physically trapped at the docks, I have a theory that this is when you can bring in the idea of uh, big engines are too heavy to go on branch lines. Uh Uh-huh. Because we know between Brendam and the main line, you've got the coastal run or Edwards branch line. So it could be that the more well-built coastal run was flooded due to the storm, but Thomas and Percy were easily able to go over the uh, smaller branch line. That's very possible, because if you remember back to the series 2 episode, Wrong Road, uh, it mentions how Gordon is discouraged from using the Brendan branch line because, yeah, it is too heavy for him. Yet we see him there on in this episode. True. Um... But, like, I mean, I, I really haven't got much else to say about this episode. No, no, we've covered everything we can, and we should probably move on. Quickly, quickly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let, let's um, head into rankings, I guess. Well, I'm giving this one a 9 out of 10. The only thing that really bothers me is uh, the timelines. I'm not sure how they're able to move Cranky within the amount of time they have and all that, but uh, no, a pretty solid episode and a great start to Series 5. Yeah, um, I'm going to give this episode a 9 as well. We've kicked off the season right off the bat with a very intense and active episode, and it is, like, they, they've given basically everything they possibly can into this episode. I just feel like... It's almost a little too short for what they set it up to be. Mm, that, no, you make a good point, Connor. It's kind of one of those episodes that would fit more with um, what they've done in the more recent seasons, how they've sort of stretched the TV show to 10 minutes, including opening and credits. Mm. But, yeah. Denim? 
Um, I really like this episode and I have a lot of fond memories of it um, as a kid when it first came on to air. Series 5 was really exciting because it was the first time I got to see new Thomas on TV for the first time and that was golden. Um, but it wasn't the first episode that I actually saw. But um, I think there is a lot that I love about this episode, but I know there is more coming. So I'm going to give this episode an 8 out of 10. All right, that just leaves our uh, guest, Brendan. What would you give this episode out of 10? Well, because I have a very soft spot for season five, it was the first season I grew up with um, properly. Uh, I, I got to give it a high rating of uh, like also a nine out of 10 because it's, it's really fun. Starts the season off with a literal bang. Yeah. And mm. it, it's just something to show. It's, it, it shows you what the rest of the season is going to be like. Just easy. Easy and fun, it is. Hmm. And um. Also, uh, I'd also like to uh, echo what Brendan said earlier. Now, I have this very vivid early memory of watching this episode at my aunt's place when I was only three or four years old. We rented a VHS from one of the nearby uh, video rental stores, of course, when they used to have those, and. Yeah, I was absolutely spellbound by the episode. So, yeah. And I reckon that Cranky Bugs as well has been on just about every compilation DVD that there's ever been as well. It's a really popular and um, uh, well-received episode and for good reason. And, like, I mean, another thing I feel that we should add is that Cranky is one of those characters that seems to just fit. Yeah. Out of, like... Everyone, uh, there have been a lot of discussions plenty of times about if you could pick a TV series character that you often forget is not a part of the Railway series, Cranky is always at the top of that list. That's very true. But always there. He's always watching. (laughs) (laughs) He's up there. um, Very true. Moving on to our next episode, uh, which is Horrid Laurie, uh, which covers a very uh, interesting topic. Um, instead of diesels versus steam, it's more of a road versus rail. And um, in, in this clip we're going to play here, you're going to listen to one of the lorries um, sort of admonishing and insulting uh favorite little tram the next engine to meet a lorry was toby well 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 no wonder this railway's in a mess you belonged in a museum not working in a quarry i might look old but i'm very useful useful pa replied the lorry just you toodle off toodle spluttered toby Come along, Toby, interrupted his driver. Don't bother to argue with him. We'll go to the flour mill instead. But when they arrived at the flour mill, Toby was shocked to see yet another lorry. What are you doing here? We three are doing your work now. You're too slow. The foreman spoke to Toby's driver. I'm sorry, times are a-changing, I'm afraid. Toby might be old, replied his driver, but he's reliable. Come on, Toby, we'll go to the farms. They'll still use us. Toby trundled sadly away. When I was a kid, when, for the longest time, the first time I heard, oh, you should pull off, 
when I was a kid, I thought he said, oh, you should just noodle off. And I was like, noodle? <laughs> Did he just tell him to noodle? And for the longest time, rewatching the episode as a child. Yeah, just spaghetti. Too, rewatching the episode constantly. We thought, like, wait, when did he say noodle? <laughs> That's brilliant. Now, now, now that we've got that discussion out of the way, it's time for us to dive into a full summary of Horrid Laurie. Once again, this was written by David Mitten and Britt Allcroft. It's a standalone story, which they've um, come up with all on their own. It's not based on any particular railway series story or any particular event. It begins with... Percy being admonished by Cranky the Crane, funnily enough, for being late. And Percy complains that he has too much work. And then (laughs) Cranky facetiously suggests, perhaps a lorry should take over your job. And Percy is left flabbergasted. He tells the other engines about it and says, what if a lorry does come? And as it turns out, three lorries arrive on the island. We had Toby speak to two of them in the clip just there. They're pretty much rude, not just to Toby, but to everyone, to James, to Thomas, to Percy. With, and, with, um, with the very, like, 1800s Cockney accent. Yes, like that's that. really interesting how they've got this very working-class, almost East End London voice there. Oh, you belong in the scrapyard. Yes, you do. Uh <laughs> I'm sorry everyone had to hear that. That was awful. Uh, it's beautiful. Embrace it. Oh, thank you. We thank loved you. it. Uh, coming back to the summary of Horrid Lorry, after Toby meets with the second lorry there in the clip, he sees one of the lorries racing along a winding, let's call it a mountain road. It's not technically not a mountain road, but it may as well be. And we see... One of the lorries fall off the cliff face. His driver jumps clear and is left with a Tom and Jerry-like bruise on the top of his head. That's great. <laughs> Which I think is the first time we've ever seen a human injury, like as someone actually physically being yes. injured. Yes, this is actually um, the first time a, um, a non-engine character has been injured on screen. There we go. And it's after that that Toby arrives at the docks. He sees the crushed uh, lorry and he he insults him and he says, I'll be back. And of course, um, it's not looking likely. And then the other lorry that uh, Toby met with, it's discovered that he was overloaded with flour. He overheated and he got stuck on the railway line. And that's... Uh, it's sort of like a dreamy, uh, what would you call it? Flashback. Sequence in the yes, it's a flashback in the top left corner of the screen, and this may well be the only appearance of Douglas in season five of the show. I I need to double check that. Yeah. Okay. So because in the episode itself, in the flashback, we see we don't know whether it's Donald or Douglas because we can't see their name plates or numbers, but it definitely is one of the twins. And he's smiling as he sees the lorry stuck on the railway tracks. You know, Which being overheated. That he has been rude to him. Um, it's Donald. Yeah, yeah. It, okay, it is Donald. All right. So in that case, Douglas does not appear at all in series five. Oh, that's sad. I, I feel like they must have made another appearance. No, 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 no. So Donald has two appearances in Series 5. Neither of them are speaking roles, but we'll get to that, of course, as the season continues. But coming back to Horrid Laurie, 
It's later discovered that the first lorry, lorry number one... Wait, wait, wait. Hang on, hang on. uh, It is only cameo uh, roles for Donald, and Mm. we don't actually get a visual of Douglas again until uh, season six, Twin Trouble. That's correct. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy when you think of it, but yeah, it's true. We only see Donald and it's only cameo appearances. I just felt like they were always there. No, yes, that's what how I felt as well. But uh, <laughs> yeah, getting back to uh, Horrid Laurie again. So we see that Laurie's two and three have broken down and then Laurie number one is brought in on a barge and as it happens, it reversed into the sea and now it's covered in seaweed, which... <laughs> It, 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 it's very humorous, and at the very end of the episode, uh, Thomas goes to visit the three horrid lorries, mm. uh, calling them the Brothers Grim, smashed, broken, and sunk. The mm. lorries are sent away, and the engines return to work on their railway. Never well, have as... to worry about mm. lorries again. Mm. Well, or as Michael Angelus says, the lorries didn't return. And the engines now work even harder to make sure they never will. Okay, so, yep, the lorries never come back. And it's true, we never see them again in Thomas and Friends, not even in the newer CGI series. They never, ever return. And yet, somehow, somehow, their merchandise is everywhere, like the wooden railways, the die-cast uh, models. They, the lorries always seem to... Yeah. It, it's incredible. And here's the thing with them, is that they are faceless um, in all their other appearances. Mm -hmm. Um, However, they were supposed to appear in Jack and the Pack. Oh. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, It's been mentioned that they were to be a part of the Sodor Construction Company. However, of course, the uh, Jack and the Pack spin-off series was cut short, so... We didn't get to see plenty of the different uh, characters that were supposed to be a part of it, sadly. Now, um, Monty and Max Monty and Max were kind of like the quote-unquote replacements. Yeah. These characters are um, another example of, um, I guess, uh, antagonists that I guess you see or have merchandising, like you have Bullstrode, who only appears once, has a butt-ton of merchandising... George only appears a handful of times. The same again, bulgy. I think um, this is becoming an ongoing trend uh, beyond Series 4, where we see more and more and more. And I remember growing up, as Urta was still being produced, trying to uh, scour after um, all these different characters. I remember Laurie 1 and Laurie 2 were easy to find, but no, it was Laurie 2 and Laurie 3 that were easier to find. And Laurie 1, I could not find him anywhere until I found him um, via a seller only a couple of years ago. Um, and he is now part of my Ertl collection. That's interesting you say that because with the wooden railway, Laurie 1 was readily available. Laurie 2 was available with uh, certain sets and Laurie 3 was just nowhere to be seen. So it's kind of like the reverse problem with the wooden railway merchandising. I think also that the fact that the lorries are so prolific in merchandising, it speaks volumes as to their popularity. I mean, they're such enduring characters, even though they only have the one appearance. 
Um, now, I, I've got a few uh, interesting notes um, about here because there are a fair few references and different things. So one, this is the second time a non-human character has been um, injured on screen, mostly on their face, because uh, you get uh, a black eye on the horrid lorry that fell, fell off the cliff. True, you do. Uh, very similar to the spiteful break van. <laughs> um, the reference to the Brothers Grimm made by Thomas refers to the two German scholars who published many well-known fairy tales, but the Grimm, of course, is supposed to be, you're looking rather grim. Mm. So there we are. Ha, ha, ha. And... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ben. I'm, I'm sorry, but that just broke me. Just a ha ha ha. ha. <laughs> it's my deep Michael and jealous voice. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but laughing aside, my personal favourite reference is one to Bob Dylan. Aye. Now, um, when Toby is at the flour mill uh, looking for jobs, and the other lorry is there, the flour mill manager goes up and says. I'm sorry, Toby. Times are changing, I'm afraid. Oh, Which yes, is a reference of course. To Bob Dylan's 1964 song, Times Are a Changing. Because the times, um, they are changing. Yeah, it, it is a really good song, uh, despite the rendition that Parry just did. Oh, I thought that was um, a pretty accurate uh, Bob Dylan impression. Thank you very much. And, and um, what's really interesting is that song was originally supposed to be written as a movement song to, you know, move the people, uh, specifically because at the time it was being written, uh, the civil rights movement uh, was very active in America. So there could very well be in this scenario, um, especially with Toby, on the manager is making a reference to how lorries are now... uh, becoming more powerful and getting a lot more quote-unquote rights if you think about it but right to work um yeah there's almost an audrey-esque political undertone to this isn't there because as we've discussed in previous podcast episodes uh the reverend of course was a clergyman and he had this more conservative view of the world And, and to add to it more Toby originally lost his uh, line that he used to work on um, to lorries and buses. True, very true. That is a good observation. He's getting a bit of, like, PTSD here. Mm. Hmm. Which I find really interesting. Now, Parry, I'm going to uh, bring up something to do with Cranky Bugs here that may resolve how he was moved. Mm. So, at the end of Cranky Bugs, um, it is said that Cranky uh, doesn't call the engines bugs or mites or, like, little ever again. However, at the start of this episode, Cranky goes along the line of, you know, you should show the ship some respect. You are, after all, only little. Ah, you make a very good point, Connor. So I've got a feeling that Horrid Lorries takes place in between uh, the two halves of Cranky Bugs. 
That would make sense. That's the That's only the... other time I think Cranky kind of insults, like, engines in a way. That's like the last time, isn't it? Or am I... Well, it's it's the last time he insults Percy, that's for sure. Yeah, afterwards, Percy's just like, nah, gotta take you down. I'm out of here. <laughs> exactly. um, <laughs> um, but yeah, my, my only um other note about this episode is how after the um troubles experienced with the season four narrow gauge engines uh in season five they did upscale them and subsequently throughout a lot of season five you can see a lot of season four engine sheds uh such as at the flour mill because they now had no more use for these sheds and they needed to try and uh, give them a use So if you look carefully throughout all of Season 5, you can find plenty of Season 4 narrow-gauge props being reused. J- just just keep that in mind and play... Uh, last, the a, last a, time they used one, the season, uh, season 4 model was Rusty, I think. Rusty, I think, was the only Season 4 model used in... Oh, oh actually, I'd like to correct I, you there, I Brendan. Can Duncan gets spooked. Yeah, yeah, Dun- Duncan gets spooked. Uh, yeah, that's and, when they did the transition. And uh, also, sorry, another episode there. We see very early on um, by George, which we're going to be covering in the next episode. We see oh. Scar, Lowy, and Reneus. It, it's it's been a while. Brendan, hat pat. Okay. Um, wow, Brent doesn't know his Thomas's friends. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why did we get him on the podcast? Oh, Seriously. come on now. Let's, set, let's settle down. <laughs> now, boys. Settle down. Settle behavior. down, children. That's it. That's enough Sorry, there. I think, it, I, I think it's time that we um, moved on to the scores. Love uh, you, Brendan. Uh, well, yes, we do love you, Brendan. In fact, we'll start with you, Brendan. What would you give Horrid Laurie out of 10? All right, because that's another episode that I watched a lot as a kid. It, it, it gets a solid say eight but i gotta give it another nine it's just it's such a lovely beautiful chaotic episode but also has like a nice side where it's like it's a life lesson there's a life lesson in it it's like it's kind of like a bully situation where it's all like you know you know like you know the big bully comes in and they get their comeuppance and then you sit there just like oh wait you know now i feel a little better so honestly like the jokes and know the slapstick with the, the you know the hurt driver and you know like the the message and then you know the engines just being like you know you get to see all like the 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 bully whole horrid lorries you know all sitting in a line you know it's like it feels worth it, it feels like you have like a sense of like oh this is worth it now they they got what they deserved kind of thing and it's just a really fun episode i think it's a fun episode Absolutely it is. I actually agree with you, Brendan. I'd give it a 9 out of 10 as well. My only qualm would be that we don't really get to see the comeuppance of the other two lorries. It's only the one that falls off the cliff who we get to see the accident of. So I think had we have seen lorries 1 and 2 get their proper due on screen, then I would give it a 10. But otherwise, it's still a fun episode, great episode, another one of those iconic stories in the television series so yeah yeah i i i'm gonna go for a nine as well the only reason that i'm not ranking it um higher um as much as i love these um photonoji lorries 
I feel that I wanted more scenes where we saw the lorries sort of berating two engines at once. Because as we saw, they were talking to James and Thomas together. And I believe in the original storyboard, we were supposed to see more of that scene where it was talking to James and Thomas at the same time. And they were both sort of having each other's back, as it were. Mm. Um, And I feel even with that scene in, it would have just bumped up that score that much higher on how, you know, we're all in this together. No, no, no high school musical on this podcast. No, stop. (laughs) There's a hang up button. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> okay well before i um i i i, I get kicked um <laughs> denim what is your score um it, it's interesting because we talk about how much uh we could see the lorries i guess kind of do their thing and it could easily be a two-parter but then again there's so many amazing episodes in this series so you could you couldn't possibly kick one out to uh, contend with this. Um, but there's so much that I love about this episode. I love that it begins with, I guess, um, the whole Ray away and from Percy's perspective. And then it kind of channels down from Toby's point of view for the rest of the episode, which I think is really mm. nice because I love anything with Toby in it. I'm a little bit biased, um, but it's also really nice uh, seeing a grandiose sing happen uh, from the perspective of one character rather than everybody. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a nine. Yes, nine, it's unanimous. N- nine's all round. It's a Donald. Yeah. It's a unanimous Donald. Uh, yes. Yeah. I- I'm-, I'm proud of that. Um, now, this is the time when we move into our musical interlude. Um, we are going to be playing Headmaster Hastings' recent rendition of uh, Thomas's anthem, which many of you uh, may know, um, the instrumental version of Thomas's anthem, we've always used as an introduction to our podcast. And uh, the wonderful Headmaster Hastings has gracefully um, allowed us to uh, use instrumental version of his cover as our, our brand new theme which is what you heard at the start of this episode. So thank you, wonderful Headmaster Hastings. Uh, This is the Thomas Anthem. In full. It's Thomas the Tank Engine, hip, 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 hooray. Chuff-a-chuff-a-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff-chuff
mischief, that cheeky little train. He chugga chugga chuff chuffs everywhere. He's always playing games. The fat controller scolds him, but he loves him just the same. Our favorite little engine, Thomas is his name. Thank you very much, Headmaster Hastings. That was his full rendition of the Thomas anthem, Thomas We Love You, which is now officially our theme song for the Right On Track podcast. You are listening to episode 33. This is part one of season five. So far today, we've discussed Cranky Bugs and Horrid Lorry. And now we move on to our third and final story that we're reviewing, which is a better view for Gordon. And we Uh, we may as well just roll the clip from the very beginning. Gordon was feeling grumpy. This was making James cross. Why are you complaining all the time? Because I'm a big blue engine and I know everything. I shall complain whenever I want. You're just a small red engine with ideas above your station. I can't see any, said Percy. Where are they? Any what? Ideas above the station. The sky is empty. Like your smoke box, Percy, laughed James. But Gordon was still grumpy. One day I'll show you just what a big engine can really do. So what can a big engine really do? Not speak to silly little green engines for a start, replied Gordon, and he puffed away. I wanted to play this clip in particular because I think it really encapsulates the vibe of season five of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. We hear heaps of banter between the engines and it's almost like light ribbing. It's not something you often hear in a children's program, but it's just innocent enough that it doesn't sound like taunting or bullying. You know, it just sounds really great there. Mm. Um, But that's not actually the story as a whole. We're going to be playing for you uh, another clip now in which uh, Gordon is taking a train on a test run to a brand new station, which is the replacement for Knapford in Series 5. At last they approached the new station. Gordon was impressed, but his mood soon changed. In front of him was a blank wall and huge buffers. What a boring view, he grunted. Important engines like me should have a panoramic view, where I can see people and people can see me. And he wished angrily. Now, this station is called Kirk Ronan, and it is seen as the... Uh, replacement for Natford Station, which was the big six-platformed monstrosity that we saw from seasons one through to four of the show. and It was a beautiful part- monstrosity. It was a beautiful monstrosity. I love it. But as we learned from uh, 
Rob Gould Galliers, it's not exactly the best place to film things. Uh, it's really difficult taking the set apart and having mm. to position the camera and all that sort of thing. So even though it looks great, to actually uh, use it in production is really, really difficult. So I suspect that's why we're seeing a lot of this station here. But that clip we also played brings us to the conflict of this episode. And that's Gordon, he's feeling really proud and pompous and he's in a bad mood because, you know, he all he has to look at is a wall. It's just a blank beige wall. Or you could say it's even cream coloured, and that's all that's that's all he has. He's got nothing with which to occupy his eyes. Yeah, and, and and then Gordon has a bit of bad luck where his pipes are all clogged and he, like, breaks down with this horrible scraping and creaking noise. Well, yeah, his safety valve activates yeah. and then he just slows down to the point where he can't pull the train anymore. Um, and he goes to the works and then he returns from the works a few days later for the grand opening of the station. And that goes absolutely as planned if you planned on crushing through a wall. I do not <laughs> plan on such a thing. <laughs> no, no, we, oh, it's quite clear that Gordon didn't plan on doing that. What happened was his driver and fireman couldn't activate his brakes, so then Gordon was forced to crash through a wall and... Um, yeah, after he's repaired for a second time, the station has reopened again and Gordon comes to find this comical... Uh, silhouette. Uh, yeah, a silhouette, an outline of his uh, front of boiler and his funnel. And uh, that is uh, the end of the episode. Yeah, he... It is a very interesting episode because it, it's very fast-paced. Yeah, so much happens. Um, you start with the banter and with a very season one style Gordon. I'm big, uh, blue engine, and I know everything. Well, um, what I particularly love about that opening scene too is like the narration of this story. It's not not quite there. I reckon it could have done a rewrite or two because the very first line was Gordon was feeling grumpy. This was making James cross. <laughs> just yeah, yeah. Like yeah. if they wanted someone to be mad, why don't they just name them cranky? <laughs> but um, <laughs> well, like one very interesting thing I love about Kirk Ronan is it seems to be a homage to uh, railway series Tidmouth. Yes, I get that vibe. In the railway series, uh, Tidmouth Station was the main big station of the line, and Natsud sort of replaced that. Um, and one of the key features of railway series Tidmouth was it had a fair few terminus, uh, terminant, terminal sidings uh, inside the station platform. And the Kirk Ronan is nothing but terminuses. No, yeah, it's just a dead end. Yeah, dead ends all round. But that doesn't stop it from looking like a really nice station. It is a very nice station. And we only see it in this season as well. True, very true. Um, And, and I absolutely adore it. Um, And, and this episode has become rather infam infamous, Um, of course, to have um, its sort of... um accident it's become well known even for the new years 
uh, a lot of Thomas fans spent their time playing the episode starting at a certain time so that... Oh, yeah, and then when Gordon crashes through the wall at midnight, you know, start your new year right. (laughs) I, I was one of those people. I will admit that. I was one of those people that started my New Year's off with Gordon crashing through a wall. I'm going to do that this year. And, and yeah, and well, you, you've only got another, you, you know, seven months. 2021, uh, come at me. <laughs> um, but yeah, the narration in this episode, it could have needed another rewrite, but it's also a little bit humorous at times. So just it, it is for the very second humorous. official opening uh, <laughs> of, of, of the station. Um, but yeah, do you reckon there's? Do you reckon there's a bit of? Um, I don't know if this is just me, but when I see this episode now as an adult, I get a bit of foreshadowing from um, the famous. Is it? I hope I pronounce this correctly for the French uh, listeners out there. The Mons Penas, uh railway derailments, where a steam engine collides through a station and through the wall. Remember that famous picture? Yes, I was. I was, I was actually going to bring this up. This particular accident is based on that very incident, the uh, Gare Montparnasse derailment. Gare that Montparnasse. Is where... Yeah, th- thank you very much. Someone speaks French here. That's excellent. And it's uh, um, it's an iconic image. You can look it up online. It's uh, uh, got fair use, so, you know, it's yeah, readily I, available. I, I, I've actually uh, I, I've got some notes about this accident. <clears throat> but yes, please do, Connor, please. Uh, note away. Uh, this is inspired by the Montparnasse derailment of 1895 in Paris at Gare Montparnasse Station, uh, which occurred on the 22nd of October, uh, 1895 at 4pm. Too long, don't read, over and the buffer stop. Yes. Too short, we'll read. The Grand, the Granville Paris Express was running several minutes late, into the station too fast, approximately 50 kilometres an hour, or 31 miles per hour. It had 131 people on board, three luggage vans, one post van, and six passenger coaches. As it sped into the station, its air brake couldn't stop, so it crashed through the buffers at the end of the line, ran 30 metres or 98 feet across the station concourse before crashing through a 60 centimetre or 24 inch thick brick wall and falling 10 metres or 33 feet down onto the street below where it stood on its nose. The only casualty was a woman waiting below in the street who was hit by falling masonry, whilst some passengers and crew, six total, were injured. It's become one of the most famous accident in transportation history, uh, most notably, the La Vie and Sun photograph of the accident, which, as you say, Parry, has got fair use. Mm, and if that accident um, happened today, I would dare say it would go viral. <laughs> that is what I would say. And there. Crash actually was recreated for the movie Hugo, and they used miniatures oh, it was for too. that movie. Yeah, it was fantastic. They recreated the crash. It was amazing. I love that movie so much. And it's not the only time it has happened. I remember, um, I, I, I remember researching, uh, I believe it was in the 1980s or 1990s in America, a rather similar situation occurred where a locomotive overran the buffer stop and it then uh, went into the concourse at a station, the sort of large platform area 
beyond the buffers. And then it fell down into the post room at the bottom. And what was most notable about this, uh, one, no one died. And two, um, they, they were expecting a lot of passengers the coming weekend. So they just buried their engine <laughs> in the post room for the weekend and, 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 and rebuilt the floor. And then all these people went around on the trains having a great time. And then the weekend was over and then they just sort of lifted the engine out of the post room, which was buried underneath everyone's feet. And uh, speaking of uh, America and train accidents, I don't know whether any of you are familiar with a movie called Silver Streak. Ooh. Oh, yes, I am aware. Please do continue. Okay, obviously no one is. Uh, so that's a comedy starring Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, and its climax, yeah, its climax spoilers, it has a similar accident where the runaway train crashes through the uh, buffers at the end of a station and it heads into basically the uh, waiting area slash terminal of a busy Chicago train station. Um, yeah, um, it's also worth noting with the Montparnasse... Uh, derailment uh, the train only suffered mild damage and they were actually able to put it back into service once the um, accident was uh, cleared up yeah yeah. Um, and, and like I mean iron horses man I'm telling you yeah they, they, they tried I, I don't know why they did this but the Montparnasse accident they actually tried to lift the engine back up using horses originally <laughs> Which, I, I don't know and like I mean the engine almost became a bit of a tourist attraction because it stayed in its state after the accident for a few days with the big gaping hole wall hanging off the edge onto the street below. It's like, I mean, th this accident really became a thing. And here is Gordon, who thankfully hasn't crashed entirely through the wall. He sort of crashed through it and is hanging on the edge. And his yeah. chassis is all bent and battered. Oh, that looks so cool, though. It does look cool. Um, it's interesting. You see his two front wheels sort of dangling off there, and I think that's a result of the fact that he's, of course, a model train. Mm, mm. Another thing is they are his bogey leading wheels. Yes. In real life, so, they yeah. wouldn't do that unless they were damaged beyond repair, but in real life, they're like still up pretty high. He is fairly damaged in this situation. Oh, yeah, he went straight through a brick wall. <laughs> not, only, not only a brick wall, but his entire under chassis had to scrape through a pure concrete platform. True, true, it did. Now, um, after this accident occurred, we have got some of the most, like, the... The probably the worst injuries you ever see on human characters. In this yeah, we've show. got a broken arm. We we have a broken arm and black eyes with uh, Gordon's fire and fireman and driver and the fat controller. They all are very hurt, mm -hmm. but they're um, still in good spirits about it because they can obviously joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like I mean, very quickly, um, I think they that's need beautiful. a scissor lift to actually get to talk to Gordon. <laughs> For some, for some reason, this station seems to be very high up in the surrounding neighbourhood. It's almost on a cliff face. Yeah. Because you can see at Gordon's height, he is above chimneys. Hmm. Which brings up my question, 
where did the wall go? It must have landed in it's people's houses and backyards. Probably landed in someone's swimming pool, no doubt. <laughs> hey, can I have like some guy? Cool. Some guy is like landed some guy's like swimming pool. This guy's like sun tanning, sunglasses on. Here's like this big splash in the pool. <laughs> takes off his glasses into the pool and then just lays back down and goes back to tanning. It's another yeah, day. No, no door. No, sadly. You just yeah. have that one guy in Lilo and Stitch. He watches the accident and his ice cream falls. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually getting um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood vibes. I was just thinking of uh, Rick Dalton. No, not Rick Dalton. Leonardo DiCaprio's character just lounging in his swimming pool, listening to his music, and then suddenly he's hit with this massive bit of concrete. <laughs> the, 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 the accident, as um, horrifying as it is, it is... It, 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 it's got a lot of humour elements to it. And this episode is full of them with the dialogue, with the very season one style Gordon, mm. with the music, especially the sort of runaway Gordon. Mm. Um, the accident is beyond belief and the camera shots leading up to it. You have like a camera zooming towards the wall. Then you have uh, the camera of Gordon racing towards it and then Gordon closing his eyes and then the crash. It's amazing. I'm going straight out on the bat and saying this is a 10 out of 10 from me. Ah, I wish I shared your enthusiasm, Connor. I do enjoy this episode as much as I do. Everything you say is absolutely true, but I think the script needs a rewrite or two. I reckon that, uh, yeah, you could touch a couple of things up here and there, but it's enjoyable overall. I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. Yeah, the thing I most enjoy about this episode is the characterization of everybody in this story. Gordon is on point, and Gordy Boy is one of my favorite characters. So um, <laughs> I love the way that he's transcribed here, and getting getting him to have an accident like this um, is really cool because we haven't seen something like this from Gordon's point of view for a long time. So it's a uh, sought after. Uh, but it's not the last uh, that we have as well. Um, I really enjoy it. So for that reason, I'm giving it a nine. Okay. And that leaves us with Master Brendan. What will you be giving a better view for Gordon out of 10? Oh, I have such a soft spot for this episode because races, rescues, and always VHS. But, you know, over the years, you eventually see of the story flush out and you go like, oh, uh, and then you go, oh, uh, but uh, honestly, I'm gonna have to give it. Uh, I think I'm gonna have to give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it a seven point five. It, it is it is such a fun episode. It like said before, it does need a couple rewrites. Everybody is in character. I will say that, and it is a fun episode to watch. It's a very chaotic, fun episode to watch. But I feel like with a couple rewrites, the episode could be it perfect. Perfect in my eyes. Yeah, absolutely. And chaotic is um definitely the word. We should also mention that the episode was written by David Mitten, Britt Allcroft, and David Maidment, who served as a railway consultant throughout Series 5, and he was offered as a uh, sort of re reward for his efforts a donation to a um, railway... Which railway thing was it that he was... Uh, this is why I should do better research. <laughs> but, um, yeah... Um, yeah, we'll be talking more about David Maidment, I'm sure, in the episodes to come. I'm afraid that brings us to the end of episode 33 of the Right on Track podcast, where 
we covered three very interesting episodes, which were the start of season five. Parry, what were they? So those uh, episodes were Cranky Bugs, Horrid Laurie, and A Better View for Gordon. Stories one through to three of series five of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. And of course, in our next episode, we'll be continuing along this journey and talking about Lady Hat's birthday party, James and the Trouble with Trees, Gordon and the Gremlin, and by George. Uh, where we'll get our return of the steamroller. Yes, looking forward to that. But Brendan, thank you so much for coming and joining us. Uh, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. It's, it's been a wonderful start for season five. Is there anything you want to promote before we say goodbye? Ah, uh, well, um... That you mentioned that, uh, please subscribe to my channel. I'm very close to 20k. <laughs> uh, oh, um, honestly, uh, anything to promote? I got new stuff coming out. Happy birthday, Thomas! Premieres sometime in the new week. Uh, and look forward to some updates to my fan film, Thomas the Movie. Yes, yeah, I'm pumped. Oh, yeah, it's a Tom. <laughs> I can't wait, but. Until that time comes, I'm still Connor. I'm still Parry. I'm still Denim. And I'm still Brendan. And this has been the Right on Track podcast. Adios, guys. Au revoir. You've been listening to the Right on Track podcast, hosted by Tom Parry, Connor Jonas, and Tom Denham. To keep up to date and on schedule with Right on Track, you can follow them on their various social media platforms. Platform 1 is Facebook. Facebook.com slash Right on Track Thomas Podcast. Platform 2 is Instagram. Sin underscore Right on Track. Platform 3 is Twitter at Untrack Thomas. Platform 4 is email right on track Thomas at gmail.com. And on platform 5, for more show details, visit sim.org.au slash right on track Thomas podcast. The theme was composed by Headmaster Hastings. Edited by Tom Denham, produced by Sin Media. <laughs>